welcome to episode 25 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we take a deep dive into the worlds of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings and Biofit Sustainable Gym Design. In this episode, we're talking to John Ryan of Healthy Places to Work, a consultancy that has developed its own global standard for creating a healthy workplace. So we discuss their interpretation of health that includes mental resilience, the concept of salutogenesis, the sweet spot between a healthy organization with healthy people, so not one or the other, but the two coming together, the importance of purpose at work for employees, human agency and its relationship to mental health, job design for a sense of control with your career, experiments with the four-day week and much more besides. John is a born communicator who sums up complex concepts in concise, clear and memorable sound bites. So I think you'll find this really useful content. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe. You can find me at mattmorley.net. John is at healthyplace2work.com. All the links are in the show notes. Nada mas. Let's get into it. Here's John Ryan. John, great to have you here. Excited to dig into one of our favorite topics of, of mutual interest and hopefully of interest to, to our listeners as well. So we're talking about creating a healthy place to work, which is also brilliantly the name of your own company. So just to give us a, a bit of scene setting, what's your own personal background and, and how did you get into the, the workplace wellness space? I know it's been quite a journey over the last sort of six or seven yeah, years. Um, a training and consultancy, I suppose, uh, was where I spent a lot of my time uh, working with a lot of multinationals, uh, delivering training courses around things, nothing to do with wellness now, things around strategic decision-making, influencing skills. Uh, negotiation skills but that that gave me uh, a great opportunity to get into loads of different workplaces and um you know you you learn about different issues going on in those workplaces i then uh, was lucky enough to join uh, an organization and lead it um in ireland called great place to work um you might know it it's a global organization and the the model is around trust um they certify organizations that have been healthy or sorry great places to work and produce lists all over uh, the world um, and that for me was really fun because, um, uh, you know, uh, for me, the joy of taking an organization from low trust uh, to high trust was a fantastic journey. And when you could see the performance of that organization change with that and improve radically, uh, that gave me my buzz. Um, and I suppose the moment for me of the focus on wellness and health came in 2014. Uh, I was in the United States at a conference and a Stanford professor called uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer. He stood up and he put up a slide and it said, workplaces are killing people and worse, nobody cares. And I remember sitting there and um, I, I, being Irish, I'm quite cynical. Um, and I was kind of going, I wonder now, is, you know, has he overplayed a little bit here? But then he started to give data. Um, and started to talk about, like, you're never going to see stress on a death cert or bullying on a death cert, but you will see cancers, you will see heart attacks, you will see suicide. Um, and then he broadened it out around the world and sort of saying, you know, Japan and China on, on death certs, they actually have a, a place for a thing called karyoshi, which is uh, death by overworking. And it just the, the more he started to share about, you know, the workplaces that were actually dangerous places to go anyway and the like, I started sort of asking myself, was there something, you know, that we could do to try and improve uh, these workplaces all over the world that were really unhealthy 
and causing people to become sick and die. Um, and that was where, you know, I, I had exposure to great place to work, a global brand with a global standard uh, in the area of cr- creating these great workplaces. And I was wondering whether or not there was something similar in the world of healthy workplaces. So we studied it all over the world and we found that there were loads of things going on in different countries, but nobody had actually set a global standard with a global brand in place. And that's what we decided to do. So there's quite a lot to unpack there. There's, there's a number of, of key key concepts, right? So I guess in a sense then, one of the primary piece is, is how you define or think about a healthy place to work and perhaps you know, to zero down on it, whether your concept of it has changed fundamentally over the last 12 months or rather has it just been a case of accelerating the thought process that you were already going through or have have you had to take a step back and, and adapt your thinking post COVID? So, uh, it, it, my thinking changed probably um, fundamentally um, about a year after the presentation with uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer because initially I had the similar view to everybody else that health was about you know fitness and uh, been able to run a marathon and maybe you know a touch of I thought it was quite progressive, you know, maybe a touch of mental health in there too, you know, that might come in. And then suddenly when uh, we started studying and this, you know, to create a standard, it requires a lot of study and looking at all of the literature that's out there and looking at all the different models that are out there. But we came across a guy called Aaron Antonovsky. And Aaron Antonovsky, um, unfortunately, he's passed, but um, he did a lot of research, um, particularly around World War II and the people who had, and particularly women, who were in concentration camps. And what he was looking at, obviously, a lot of people who came through that experience were pretty well ruined as individuals, but some weren't. And some were able to come out. And even though they went through the horror that they went through, they were able to actually still live a reasonable life afterwards. And he was really interested to know what was going on here. And he uh, shared with the world his concept of the salogenic model of health. So in other words, what he wanted to do was have people to stop thinking about health as being the absence of illness, but rather look at the drivers, the things that make you truly healthy as an individual, so that when life, as life will, life will come along and it'll hit us all in in ways. The question is, are we going to be able to actually keep going? Are we going to be able to respond? Are we going to be resilient enough? And, And obviously COVID has told us that for elderly people who are frail, they were the first uh, to be, you know, really badly affected by this. People with underlying health conditions, again, really badly affected by it. So from from for me, that completely changed my view. And that's where the, the model that we built around health, which we can speak about in a moment, but, but it really changed. So I was operating like an awful lot of people with a really, really narrow definition of what actually health is. And I had to expand that hugely. And it actually brought me on a journey of, of learning an awful lot more about this. But also then uh, the question was, can we actually implement this within workplaces to try and make them healthier? Because the, probably the core belief we've come to is that you actually can't be a healthy individual if you're operating and working in an unhealthy organization. And equally, you can't be a healthy organization if you're full of unhealthy people. So that sweet spot that we're trying to get people to understand where it is, is when you have a healthy organization full of healthy people. And that's the sweet spot of resilience and sustainability and the thing that everybody wants, obviously, which is ultimate high performance of an organization. 
So you set out. I mean, you've obviously you've obviously got quite a um, yeah an informed, research-driven, theoretical approach. I mean, referencing various authors and 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 leading thinkers in this subject. So you're sort of gathering all of this information, and you mentioned the concept of like creating a standard. And that's a that's a big statement. So like, what is the standard that you've created in relation to the healthy workplace, and and what are the sort of the individual yep. components? So I suppose there's two definitions that which are handy to get out of the way first. And that's sort of um, our view of a healthy individual is an individual with the vitality to flourish at work and beyond. So this isn't just uh, about work. It's also uh, beyond because it's it's all the one. Um, it was funny, I was talking to somebody recently and they were just talking about in workplaces how it used to be the case that you'd sit down with your manager and you'd mention something that was going on at home and you'd kind of be told, I oh, will just leave that at home now. The workplace isn't something where you bring your personal problems. I think we've moved on now and we understand that we're we're not these people who can compartmentalize all our different parts of our life. Work life, home life, they're all mixing together. Okay. So um you get you get it all together in one. The healthy organization, our definition is that an organization that enables its human capital to sustainably deliver on its objectives. And this sustainability piece has been absolutely a, a crucial piece. And uh, a lot of organizations now who we're talking to uh, want to, they buy into the UN goals on sustainability and they see us as being a, a mechanism where they can report on a number of those goals, uh, ESG reporting wise. In terms of the model, there's four key pillars to the model. And the first one is actually purpose. And this is kind of probably a lot of people are quite surprised at this, but it's critically important. And the more we we dig into this, the more we realize it. I don't know if you've ever seen a film called Sixth Sense. There's a little boy in it and he says, I see dead people. And uh, effectively, for the last 10 years when I've been going through workplaces, I effectively feel I see dead people. Right. I look at these people in their eyes and they just... They hate their job. They hate their role. They hate their manager. They hate the culture. They hate the company. They hate. And you kind of go, why are you still here? And they say, I have to pay the bills. So you see that somebody is kind of trapped in an organization. And that's not good for your health, right? We all have an ideal version of who we are. But then there's the real version. And if there's a big distance between those two things, we have dissonance in our life. Okay. Whereas if they're pretty closely aligned, well, then we have a level of coherence. And coherence is something that is critically important to the performance of you as an individual. An example of that disconnect would be if you join an organization and the values and behaviors of people in that organization are completely different to yours. So every single day, you're going to be struggling because you're you're being something that is not true to yourself. And that's a big problem. So there's two factors here that play into this. One is organizations need to be really honest about who they are so that people can judge that that's the right place for me to go. But equally, individuals need to get to know themselves well enough so they'll be able to judge what are the best environments where they can actually flourish. And the truth of it is, from my experience, an awful lot of people don't know themselves well enough at all. And a lot of organizations are putting themselves forward in this kind of vanilla way of, oh, we're we're great in all ways. Whereas they need to be clearer about who are the people who can thrive in that environment and who are the people who won't. And that doesn't mean they're you know, not good employees. It just means they're not suited 
to that environment and that job at the particular moment in time. So that that purpose piece and that sense of um, meaning in the work you do, because I honestly believe that it's the the biggest one of the biggest health decisions of your life is where you're going to work because work can be the best thing in your life or the absolute worst thing in your life. And it's too important to just leave it up to random choice. The second piece and the pillar is mental resilience. And this, you know, there's a couple of concepts. I am not sure if um, you'd be familiar with uh, the concept of self-efficacy. Um, self-efficacy as a, a term, it's um, Albert Bandura was the guy who came up with it. And basically it's, it's about this concept of agency. So some people see that life just happens to them. OK, and that there's not an awful lot they can do about it. And they're like a boat going down a, a you know, a rapid or something They get buffeted either side. Whereas people with high levels of self-efficacy, it's like as if they have they're in that boat, too, but they've got an oar and they start to direct things. So they believe that their decisions really matter and particularly their decisions around their job, their career and their health. And that's really important with the pilots we did initially with this back in 2016. They were really surprised to see that the, there was a correlation between their high performers and people who had high levels of self-efficacy. So they've actually started now selecting and recruiting based on um, the capacity of people to have that high level of self-efficacy. Other things that are included in mental resilience would be optimism as a frame of thinking it's an incredibly important thing you know pessimistic people tend to believe oh no like that that's another thing that's happened to me and and that oh that's my fault I take it on very personally I think it's going to go on forever I'll sort of say oh yeah that's one bad thing that happened to me today there's another two coming because they always come in threes Um, and they just have this kind of negative way of looking at life whereas optimistic and this guy called Martin Seligman who wrote a book on learned optimism you can become more optimistic and it's incredibly aligned um, to your health outcomes and and people wouldn't know this which is quite interesting so the learning mindset is another aspect of uh, mental resilience really important that people um, have this ability to learn and grow and develop not just like you know you leave college and you're finished learning you're learning all the time and you're adapting to the world outside because there's so much change going on you really have to be willing to embrace that change and change with it. We look at control and stress has been critically important in this model. So the time you're going to feel most stress in your life is the time where you feel out of control. So as an organization, the more uh, control I can give you in terms of, let's say, job design. So um, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, who you're going to do it with. Those aspects give you a sense of control, and that's critically important. There's two more aspects. One is the demands and resource uh, model that we talk about, where this is a very mature model, as in this isn't a paternalistic organization who have to provide everything for you, right? You have to turn up ready to go. So you have to be personally resourced to actually deliver at this workplace. Your organization matches that with resources, but brilliant organizations get the demands resource balance piece absolutely bang on. So they challenge you enough so they're stretching you so that you kind of hit flow on a regular basis, but they're not overwhelming you. And equally, we've seen in a lot of the public sector, unfortunately, that we've been working with, the people are underwhelmed there. They don't have enough challenge in their life. And that's equally as, as dangerous too. Financial well-being is a key critical part of mental resilience, too. And we see that as a big, big factor for people. Uh, lots of worry, lots of worry in that space. And um, the third pillar is actually connections. And this has been the piece that's been 
you know, just hugely affected by COVID. Um, people have lost their social networks. And particularly uh, the, the data that's coming back to us, uh, which compares completely differently with the data before COVID, is actually saying that the uh, sub-25, the under 25-year-olds are having a miserable time of it in workplaces right now because they don't want to be living at home with mummy and daddy, <laughs> right? They want to be in the exciting, buzzy workplace where maybe they meet their partners for life or they have really good fun. They, they are learning and growing at a, a radical rate. And there's a randomness of a workplace that's wonderful. And that's where innovation thrives and the like. And they're not getting that. And there's in, in the, the, the model we have with uh, there's five statements that actually, if they're all come back low, it actually combines to say that those people are potentially depressed. And there's a lot of that in that age group. So just to people out there, please watch those people. So we're looking at um, relationships. Um, one thing people talk about diversity and inclusion, it's fantastic in the model test for that. However, you know, it's much easier to be around people who see the world the same way we do. If we're around people who see the world completely differently to us, which is good, that's diversity. But we need to have the skills to manage those rich relationships so that they don't end up with conflict. Um, belonging we're testing for, uh, social well-being, emotional well-being, people have been their authentic selves. All, all the way through. So that, that peer support and manager support come in there too. Last um, pillar is actually the physical health. So the usual suspects around, you know, weight and diet and fitness are in there, but also sleep and, you know, energy, because this this whole model is based around people turning up and being energized with that vitality to, to really perform. But re rest and reflection and recovery and also then general safety. So the, the model is built around those four pillars, 21 elements and 66 statements driving those along with 11 um, demographics that we're looking at. So what we bring back to an organization is a big, big data set on their people. So no longer are they just kind of saying, well, I think my people are OK. They're going, I'll tell you exactly how they are, because now they have an evidence base and they can strategically respond to the real issues that are affecting their people. And we just ask them to do a simple, healthy place development plan whereby they say these are the presenting issues. And over the next 12 months, six months, whatever, whatever period they want, this is what we're going after. So we're not going to take everything on. We're just going to really be focused on trying to move the dial in these areas. I think we, we sort of touched on that uh, before we, we started recording today. But the idea of uh, yeah, the, the, the value and importance of starting a project like this, where, where the strategic aim is to create a healthier, more positive space in which to for, for staff and employees to work every day. The importance of beginning that with uh, effectively listening. You know, you're, you're helping an organization to listen, perhaps in a way that they can't do yep. themselves because of people perhaps not feeling comfortable sharing about these things or just you're, you're creating, uh, you're, you're giving them a space in which to, to, to some extent, open up and, and share concerns or worries that might not be appropriate or easy to share um, on, on a day-to-day -day basis because they're just not, they're just not there mentally. And, and that then becomes the foundation. You know, that's often what I wish was happening before I get involved, which is more like, okay, now we, we, we know what's happening in the organization. Now it's time to actually implement yeah. some changes. But if you haven't got that first piece, right, then you're sort of floundering. You're just, you're just throwing some things at the wall without quite knowing where you should be focusing. So your, your approach is to, first of all, go in and, and what is the, 
what is the process itself? You're, you're interviewing stakeholders. It's a series of questionnaires. Like how does it, in practical terms, how do you practical. roll it out? We go in and we survey um, through a an online survey, everybody in the organization, total. And that data then uh, resides on a platform and uh, the actual people in the organization themselves, the CEO, the HR director, they can actually access their own data and they can slice and dice it in whatever way they want. Obviously, there's suppression there so that confidentiality of all of this information is number one for us. Um, but they can go in and sort of see how's that team in that geography, you know, compared to this team in that geography. And we'd give them benchmarks too so that they can compare because, you know, there's some scores that come back and they might look low, but then suddenly you see, well, actually, you know, that's low for everybody. That's that's a hard thing to pull off. Um, so you've, you've got to understand that. And actually, one of the ones that's quite low is that piece around turning up to work every day, really energized and ready to go. Um, there's an awful lot of people who aren't. This pandemic has just sucked the life out of them. Um, and you, you kind of hear an awful lot of the good stuff out there from organizations saying, oh, people working from at home, they've been fantastic. And there's a lot of guilt. People are, are killing themselves working, trying to prove that they're actually working at home. They'd never be working that hard in, in the workplace. And, and you need like the best performers and athletes and sports people. They, they can't run at 100 miles an hour every single moment of a match or whatever. They actually need that time to just take a break, go and have a coffee, have a chat and whatever. That's the cadence of a, a good, healthy workplace. Um, but what we're seeing is people who are quite exhausted and they're trying to pull off this impossible task of, you know, I mean, the homeschooling stuff. What we saw from talking to a lot of recruitment agencies was that a lot of, and unfortunately, this is the case, that unfortunately a lot of women were actually packing up and leaving the workplace because they just felt that they weren't doing anything right. They weren't doing their work right and they weren't looking after the, the home right. And unfortunately, I, I say it, it, that's, you know, it should be everybody's job, but um, a lot of females left the workforce. They will come back, hopefully, when this is over. But rather than trying to muddle on through that, there was too much stress that was been placed on them. So really, for us, um, organizations at the moment take a very ad hoc approach to health and wellness. They do a lot of talking. They do a lot of um, awareness building. We actually think it's way past awareness. People kind of know what they should be doing in some ways. Uh, but now it's about helping the organizations understand where should we invest and where should we focus our attentions on. A one quick example of this is we had one organization and we asked them, you know, so what are you doing? And they said, oh, we're doing this, that and the other. And we're doing a big thing on, on mental health. Uh, so we're getting somebody in to do a speech. And uh, we said, OK, and, and what supports are you going to have after that? And they were kind of going, oh, no, well, we weren't really thinking of any supports necessarily. We were just thought they'd come in and do the speech and leave. And that would be interesting. But the problem with that is you surface issues for people and you need supports after you surface issues for people. And actually, when we did the assessment, that wasn't the biggest issue for people at all. Financial well-being was the biggest issue in that organization. So they were actually going to spend time and effort on a particular issue that, yeah, might have been interesting, but it wasn't what was going to actually hold back their performance as an organization. Instead of that, what they actually managed to do was bring in uh, tax consultants to actually help, and they ran tax clinics for their employees. And they actually found out that even though these employees were really smart people, you know, with big degrees and masters and the like, they were really rubbish at organizing their own finances. And loads of them were on credit card debt. And this spiral of debt was actually just every single day weighing heavily on them. So they actually managed to get consultants in to um, restructure 
uh, their staff's uh, debt, you know, take it from credit card to medium term loans. And it was like as if they said it was like as if you just took this huge weight off people's shoulders and suddenly they were coming into work smiling and actually really contributing because the organization had responded to a clear and present issue that was really causing them a problem and affecting their health. And that's what this is about. It's about being really smart. You, you know, we're living in a data age. So it's about responding to the data, picking you know, the right measures. So you're making sure you've got the right things and then interrogating the data in a smart way so that you're spotting the correlations. You're seeing the trends that are actually happening. And actually, a lot of organizations tell us that this is the best predictor going forward for them. You know, because they're maybe at a board, they're looking at revenue and profitability and all a lot of measures that are sorry in the past. But this is the one that directs you and lets you know what's probably going to come down the, the street in about six or 12 months time if you don't deal with it. So you're effectively you're, you're gathering all of this data. The data then allows you to generate insights and then you you're what, what goes back to the organization. I believe you call sort of healthy development plans, right, where you're which are essentially almost like a sort of a, an action plan, like a list of recommendations. Like how do you then structure that feedback so that you can prioritize or are you putting budgets against things? Like what's the next step in the, but in the Just to be clear, that's not what we do. What we do is we're experts on, we've created the model and the standard and we give you the data and the insight. So we come back to you as an organization and we sit with your leadership team and we say, this is you. This is exactly how all your people are, including, by the way, the senior leaders of the organization, because sometimes they can be the most unhealthy people. And we know that to be a healthy place to work, your employees have to look to the senior leaders and see see health role models. So don't think you can get away with this as a senior leader if you're uh, not going to live the dream yourself. And that's really important. So we sit with them and we say, based on our analysis and the benchmarks and everything we see, these are the things that you're brilliant at and your people are really doing well at. Celebrate that because always organizations focus on what's wrong. Straight away, they jump in there and they don't take a moment to recognize what they're getting right, okay? But then we highlight the issues and we sort of say, okay, these are the top three or four things that we think are the biggies that you've got to go after in the next period of time. However much time and effort and energy you're going to put into this will depend how long that's going to take. And you then need to actually put the healthy, we give you the framework of the healthy development plan, but you fill in the bits. You decide what you're going after because it's your decision, it's not ours. We're going to tell you what we think are the priorities, but you're, you've got to you know nail them down and then communicate it to everybody. And you've got to build a coalition around the organization because this isn't the leadership doing this. This is everybody. Everybody's got to go on this journey. And we've got to decide what are we going to support? What are we going to go after? What are we going to promote? And what are we going to try and move the dial on? And then we're going to measure it again to see that we're going in the right direction and we're really actually making a difference. So that I think that's really interesting. Yeah, because there's almost a temptation in my mind to sort of go, you know, leap ahead a couple of steps. Whereas in fact, you're providing, for example, a chief people officer or an HR director, you're providing them with with data and understanding about what's happening in their organization. You're helping them to, to see through the various barriers or between the cracks or whatever it might be so that they, they can really kind of taste the, get the temperature yeah. of, of where they're at. And then it's, it's in a sense up to them or you, you kind of collaborate a little bit or, or help them understand 
what's going on, and then in a sense, you sort of pass the baby on, and it's then up to that HR team to to take on the the the, the challenge of of resolving and also um, yeah communicating the good stuff, but also resolving some of the bad stuff. Is that, correct, is that fair? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I mean, just imagine if you were running this in um, any health organization, you know, who've been subjected to what's gone on. The leaders of the, the, the these hospitals and the like, they, they might be presuming that everybody has been affected in a similar way, but that's probably not the case. Some people have been affected much differently than others, and you can't presume those things. You need data so that you need to ask the question so that you know then how you're responding and you're responding in the right way with the right people. I wanted to pick up on, um, on one piece that you mentioned, the idea of recovery and and the importance as a sort of rest and reflection and how that relates to, to physical health. Uh, it seems to me that recovery in a sense is that is, is a combination of mental and physical well-being. You know, if, if, if you're not recovering, a bit like the sportsman, you know, in the, the performance analogy, if you, you're just unable mentally to perform well. So like, what sort of things do you see in terms of best practices around how you can foster a culture in which recovery is not deemed almost uh, something you know to be scoffed at, uh, but is in fact to be to be embraced. Because I think you know we've seen, especially in sort of you know your sort of classic high performing management consultancies and things where sleep is almost uh, for, for the weak. You know, how, that's that's a mountain for 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 you to or an HR team to to overcome, right? So like, what, what sort of strategies might you think about in terms of, well, here's, here's what recovery could mean for you in the context of, of this workplace? I, I think workplaces are kind of getting the, the deal that it's not about turning up and how much time you spend in there. It's actually, you know, where you're using your brain power during a day and the recognition that, yeah, I can turn up, I can do a 16 hour day if you want me to, but I'm not going to be really performing all that time. And the smart workplaces are the ones who realize that, look, you you can control a lot of those factors. So if I give you the space to sort of say, you take time out and take the time out that you need to be able to do whatever it is you need to do. I mean, like I was in um, Denmark with a company who had moved to the four day week. And um, that was really important because um, they were proving that they could make more money uh, with people working four days a week than they could with people working five days a week. And it was all to do with effectively using the time in a completely different way um, and uh, bringing a level of transparency to it. But the Friday day was a day that the uh, employees said, and when I was talking to them, they were saying the thing that was really important about uh, Friday was that their family wasn't around. So when suddenly it's Saturday and Sunday and you've had a hard five days at work and you come home and you can't rest, you're actually, you're up for it again. You're bringing kids to football or whatever you're, you're, you're shopping, you're doing all those things. Whereas this day was like a secret day where they could just do what they needed to do. And that was where they really recharged their batteries. And they used that time, even though they could do anything they like, they used it to educate themselves and to learn and grow and develop themselves on a personal level. I thought that was a, a great one. But one of the things about reflection, I think is, is important that oftentimes organizations will celebrate a project when it goes really well, okay? And then if a project doesn't go well, they completely ignore it, right? Whereas in one organization I love, they celebrate failure. 
So the same party that they would have had if the project had been a huge success, they have the same party, even though it's a failure. And what they do is they recognize that even though they haven't actually got the result they wanted to, still an awful lot of people in that group have done huge work to try and achieve the result. And they specifically kind of go through what everybody has done and contributed to that, even though it wasn't a huge success. But they stop and say, now, if we were to do it all over again, what would we do differently? And to me, that's an organization who's actually learning. They're actually learning and reflecting on what's just happened. And they're now going to be stronger and better at making sure that they're not making the same mistakes over and over and over again because they're moving at such speed. They've stopped, they've reflected, they've learned, they've grown, and they move on. And to me, that's that's the way it's got to be. I love it. That's a great one to end on. I think you just sort of, as a mic drop moment, I think, in many ways. So listen, if people want to reach out to you and, and connect or perhaps get involved or, or you know, bring you on, what's the best way for them to come? Well, I mean, like, I, I, they can come through healthyplacetowork.com or if there's a, you know, I don't know what way you work this, but if there's not too many, uh, John at healthyplacetowork.com is okay. So uh, what I, I'll let you be the judge of that. Very right. cool. All right. Well, listen, thanks again. We'll put uh, we'll put the, every, everything in the show notes so people know exactly how to contact you. And uh, yeah, thanks again Brilliant. for your time. Thanks a million.